And, uh, and so I made the outline that I wanted to make, and I'm writing all my notes, and I finally said, well, I'm just going to clean up my notes and use, give them out too, so make it easy on you. You won't have to try to remember all this stuff. And of course, when I got done with all that and looking everything over, now I've got notes on top of my notes, but you, you just have yours typed, so they're not, not too bad. But hey, these past notes out, I'm gonna, I want to give you a statement, and uh, you think about that and see if you will agree with it, um, and we'll go from there. Anything really important in your life is worth your time, your diligence, and your money. Let me say that again. Anything really important in your life is worth your time, your diligence, and your money. Do you agree with that? Okay. That aren't actually what? Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate that because you're you're taking an area that I I hadn't thought about because I'm thinking of it in terms of a context of kind of like our church, you know. But you're exactly right in the sense of the worldview because that that the worldview is certainly not going to parallel the Christian view of what's important and what it's not. So appreciate. Gabe kind of straightening that out. He was telling me the world thinks about a lot of things that wouldn't fit this category, and he's right. But uh, let's bring that down into the Christian context. And uh, uh, does it apply there in terms of what we're saying? At least I think it does. So whether, whether you agree with me or not, you've got to follow me anyway uh, tonight. Hopefully you will. But uh, I wrote down a few things that I would use as examples. Maybe you've got some in mind that you would use as examples of things in our life as a Christian that would are really important that deserve or that warrant that time, diligence, and money. Anything? Did I cover it all? Did I get them all in there? Is it, you have any other examples? Mm-hmm. All right. Your time devoted to some good things. All right, anything else? Because what's really important to us generally is where we're going to put our our time and you know our our efforts, diligence, and our money, whether it's Christian stuff or secular stuff, people are going to put themselves into what they think is important in that sense. What about Bible study? Where does that rank in the sense of really important? I didn't put it in my list. Nope, none of you mentioned it. Which I appreciate it because you were reading it, so you probably, you know, thought that's probably what he's looking for right here, but I won't say it. Right there. <laughs> of course, teacher. <laughs> so what about Bible study? You know, probably one of the more misunderstood and under-addressed areas of the Christian life when we think about it. Because we think about that usually in terms of personal. That's my personal Bible study. We're not thinking in terms of a bigger picture 
that involves all parts of my life, everything I do, but it does. And that's part of what uh, we want to see tonight is how important that is uh, as we look at it in our life. So we, some people say, well, you know, that's a personal thing. So that's kind of like up to every individual. Well, it is and it isn't. Well, what does the Bible say about itself? Well, it says a whole lot. But just a, f- a few words that it, it says, it says it's, a, it's alive, it's active. It's God-breathed. It came from the very mouth, in a sense, of God inspiring the writers to write what they wrote. When their words, they were his words. It's eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away. But his word will never pass away. It's life. It's right. It's truth. It's spiritual milk. It's spiritual meat. And there's more and more and more. One of those that I just didn't mention is printed for us, and that's Psalm 119.105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's a light. And one of the things about Bible study is interesting to see what you find if you just take a moment and look just on the surface of that verse. Because light's used two different ways. Do you see that? It says it's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Two different words for light. When we think about it in a practical sense, a lamp is something that is smaller and more perimeter. You don't use a lamp to try to look way down the road in the sense of the old-time understanding of a lamp. They carried a lamp around to see close around them. And then the word used as a light to my path has the idea of a headlight in the guard. So you can see what's, what's the, where we're heading, what's down there. So notice it this way, a lamp to show me where I am, a light to show me where I need to go. How important is that? How important is it in a Christian life to know where we are? How are you going to know where you need to be if you don't even know where you are? That's the good thing about the GPS. You know, it tells you where you are in order to get you where you need to go. If you're reading my notes, I said a lamp to show me where I am, little parenthesis, ant bed. That happened to me recently. I went outside to check something on a car I'd gotten to thinking about and opened the hood and took my trusty phone light, you know, and I'm looking in there and I felt a little something on my leg and shook that off. I keep going. Then I felt something else and took my light and looked down. I'm standing in an ant bed. Okay, well, I didn't see that. Wasn't looking for it. And I didn't have my light on before I got there, see. Well, what about spiritual life? How many Christians today are standing in ant beds all the time? Or worse, I mean, there's dry wells out there in this world. And if we don't see them, we're going to fall in a hole. And I'm, think, I'm talking figuratively. We wonder why things happen to all, us all the time. Why it's such a battle. Why we're, you know, we're always something going on negative. And all. Well, 
do we know where we are spiritually walking through this life? The Word is a lamp to keep us realizing where I am in this life. What I'm doing, why I'm doing it, what my objectives are, what my plan is, what my goals are. The Word is a light for my path to give me directions of where I need to go so that I'm not caught blindsided. So I'm not crashing into a wall spiritually. But I'm actually moving intentionally toward a place, toward a goal. So how important is our Bible study? Tremendous. If we're not in the Word, we're not going to be walking with the Lord. Got to know that. Well, look a little further. Our outline just breaks down the time, diligence, and money. When we talk about the time of Bible study, what is the time? When you're in your personal Bible study, you know, what is the standard for time for that? There is no standard. It's something that you decide. Do I take 15 minutes a day? Do I take 30 minutes a day? Do I take uh, 20 minutes every other day? Do I, do I take set out time four days a week? Do I, you know, it's, there's no standard for that other than implication of the Word you know, that tell us to be in it. You need to be in it. You need to be doing it. I said enough time to meet your goal. Wait a minute, Goal? I mean, I thought, we, I thought we had personal Bible study because God said do personal Bible study, so we get in there and we do it. I mean, what's your goal when you have personal time in the Word of God? Sometimes a goal is, well, you tell me, what are goals for personal Bible study? Sir? To become wiser. That's good. All right, what else? All right, draw closer to the Lord. That, that personal relationship with God. That, it's like conversation sometimes when you know, if we're really putting ourselves into it. What else? I've got to be obedient to God for spiritual encouragement, to improve knowledge, grow in grace and knowledge, to know God's will. Well, we get that from the pastor's sermons, right? No. <laughs> I hope but God's will begins to be a whole lot more personal than just a general sermon, doesn't it? I think, I think most Christians do Bible study for devotional reasons. In the sense of, you know, my, my, my nugget of encouragement for the day, you know, or my feel-good psalm verse, or something that's going to cheer me on, or, you know, something that uh, just... Uh, Feels good when I read it. And those are good things. Nothing wrong with those. But we shouldn't stop there. 2 Timothy 2.15. Oh, we know that. Let's, we, can just, we can just say that one together, can't we? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Eh, we're commanded to do this, aren't we? 
God actually commands us to study His Word. God actually commands us to get into His Word. He commands us to spend time in there. And if God commands it, it must be important. It must be important. So uh, if, if you don't use the number one excuse, what I think is the number one excuse that people don't do much Bible study, personal Bible study, just don't have time. Man, I've got so much going on in my life. You know, the family, the kids, the spouse, the jobs, the phone, but, uh, 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 all of those things. And that's, that's got to, in my mind, that's the number one thing I hear when I talk to people about things like this. Oh, it's just so busy. Man, these days, you just, you know, I can't, it's so hard to get a little quiet time. It's so hard to, you know, but there's things in our schedule and in our time that we find time to do that wouldn't be there if we didn't want to make it happen. But if we're too busy, we got problems. I'm just going to be honest with you. We got some priorities out of whack. Because if God says, you got to do this, and you ain't, you're telling God, I don't have time, well, apparently God's not running your schedule, is he? It's just, you know, things to think about. And I'm as guilty as anybody about that. I'll have a wide open day all day every day. I mean, but I love what I do. But I also have my time with the Lord because you've got to make it happen. It doesn't just happen. 2 Timothy 2.15, you know, why do we study? He says, to be approved. Okay. A workman that moved. a workman is a laborer. That's all it is. That's what it means. Somebody that works for somebody. Somebody that's out there doing a job. And and serious Bible studies work. You realize that? Those of you who do it know it. It doesn't stop with a, a quick psalm in the morning before I head off to work. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about Christians laboring in the truth of the book. To get what God has for them there so that they know where they are and they know where they're going. According to the will of God, not the boss at work. Or all the other dictates that try to run our life every day. He says, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing simply means correctly handling it. It's being skillful with the Word. Not just reading it, not just thinking about it, but understanding it. You say, well, things are there. A lot of things are hard to understand. Yes, they are. So what do you do if you've got something that's hard to understand? Well, you either just skip it, like most people do, or you take and make the effort to dig in there and find out. To get the understanding. And he's talking about, that's the kind of students of the Word that we're supposed to be, is the ones who dig it and get it. And don't stop digging until we do get it. Skillfully handling the Word of God. And what does that mean? Understand it right, apply it right. Because if we don't understand what we're supposed to do, how are we going to do it right? See, this, 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 this is critical to our daily walk. It's critical to our daily life 
is to understand what the Word says so I know how to handle what I'm confronting out here in the world every day in every area. And that doesn't just happen. The world's coming at us from every side. And if we're not equipped, we'll be defeated. And most Christians, I'm afraid, live more defeated than victorious because they're not equipping themselves in the basic fundamentals of personal Bible study. Well, don't know how to do that. How do we do that? How does that happen? How does that work? Uh, number the two word there is diligence. Let's look at the diligence of Bible study. I put in parenthesis, self-disciplined, scheduled regimen. You know, you got to mean business. That word diligence, I just, I just defined it that way. To be diligent means you got to get in there and you got to do it. No excuses, no questions, you know, no sidetracks, just got to do it. We do it in other areas, but somehow or another we don't do it in this one so often. But it's that self-discipline, structure of time, place, labor. It requires the same as any other determined pursuit. Well, that's my wording, but here's what that means. Uh, examples. Going to the gym. Participating in an organized sport. Weight loss programs. I mean, there's lots of stuff. Some of these just kind of surface regularly. Those take self-discipline, and they don't start out fun. They start out hard. Most of it's painful. All that kind of exercise or that kind of sports activities or, or that kind of doing without and gets kind of painful and kind of hurts and it's not, not much fun to that. That's why it takes the determined pursuit. You've got to have the goal. The goal has to stay out there. You have to keep that in front of us. You have to put a lot of sacrificial labor and time to reap the joy of reaching your goal. Yeah. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, as they say. Even in personal Bible study, because so many other things that are constantly knocking on the door of our time, knocking on the door of our heart, knocking on the door of our interests, knocking on the door to keep us from doing that, because Satan knows what happens if you do this. Your relationship with the Lord is going to explode. And he's going to lose a lot of ground in your life. For some of us, he doesn't have much trouble handling us. You know, but the closer we get with the Lord, and the more faithful we are to his word and understanding how we are to live, then the less he can. He can accomplish that. The less he can be victorious in our life. You have to put a lot into it, but it's worth it. Because in the end, that pain and struggle and, and aches and all of those things turn into joy of achieving and accomplishing the goal. You know, the, the body starts toning up. The weight begins to fall off. The sport begins to get excess, successful. Good things start happening. 
if we hang in there with that diligence. I put, I put an illustration, personal illustration, in the notes. When, it's, it's this. When I was 11, 12, 13, I don't remember when the time started, somewhere maybe 10 or something, along that way, I had a re- had regular devotion time instituted by my dad. Um, he, he suggested it with a big smile and then meant that I'm supposed to do that. You might have to know my dad for that, but, you know. Uh, it, it wasn't like, you know, if you want to. Or, or if, he, if he said if you want to, that still meant I want you to. But anyway, you'd have to know my dad for that. So, you know, I, I do that, and he'd tell me, you know, here's, I say, well, what do I need to do? And, you know, and he'd tell me. And so I'd try to do that. So uh, anyway, my dad would often ask me how it was going. And he knew if I wasn't telling the truth or not, so I'd have to be honest. And I'd say stuff like, not very good. Maybe I, you know, I fall asleep when I'm reading, you know, morning, early, or whatever. Or that's kind of boring. You know, I don't understand a lot of it. So, you know. You know, it's not that much fun, that kind of things like that. But here's the kicker. I can remember this to this day. He would say, in a sense, remind me, because he would say the same thing every time. He'd say, that's okay. He he didn't get on to me or criticize me because I thought it was kind of boring, Dad. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, he beget this one and they beget that one and, you know, you know, you know. That when you're a kid, I mean, you know, you like David and Goliath, but there's only so many of those stories, you know. So he didn't he didn't condemn it or criticize. He said it's okay. You're gonna have times like that. You're gonna, you know. But he said just keep at it. He was instilling the discipline that I needed, and I didn't even know it. You just keep at it. You just commit yourself, I'm going to do it. Whether it seems like it's not worth it, whether it seems like I'm not getting much out of it, but that's the way we do things today too, in the examples I gave you a while ago. You go to the gym two times and you think, oh, this is just not worth it. I'm not getting anything. This, nothing's happening except I'm getting worse. You know, more sore than I was to start with. He said, just keep at it. And here's what I remember. He said, do it now because you need to. And later you'll do it because you want to. I've never forgotten that. You know why? He was right. He was right. And it's still just as true today. Today I love it. I've said it from here before up here. My favorite part of the day. But there's got to be the commitment. And if God is mandating it, you know, it's, it's got to happen. But it needs to happen the way He wants it to happen. For the purposes He wants it to happen and for our good because that's what the purpose is all about. Well, let's look at the third one for a second, the money. Any, anything we get into is always money involved, isn't it? Even in Christian stuff, there's money involved. But, hey, if you take a note here, the money of the Bible study is surprisingly less expensive than most other higher-level endeavors. 
Most of, most of your money in, in Bible study are kind of one-time expenses. You know, you don't have to buy the same book twice or whatever, you know, this kind of stuff. And we'll get into that. But in, the money aspect has to do with the tools, the tools and the skills. If you're going to be a mechanic, you're going to have to buy tools. You know, if you're going into some particular field, whatever it is, there's going to be tools. You're going to have to buy a new computer or a new laptop or new this or new that or whatever in order to perform the function of that job that you got. So there's got to be investment. And yet we want to say, oh, well, I, I, can't, I can't afford to buy, you know, these study things and stuff. Can't afford not to. You go tell the boss, oh, I can't afford tools. I'll just have to do the best I can without them. Well, you can do that somewhere else, right? All right, so study materials and resources. Basic stuff. Writing paper, notebook, not too expensive. Bible, of course. That's the text. I put Bible with margins to write on. I have several Bibles that I just accumulate over time. But sometimes you're right, you're reading, you're looking at stuff, and oh, oh, goodness gracious, make me a little notice what pops into my head right quick, and then I can come back later and see that little note again, and those kind of things. Uh, and there's all kind of helpful helpful Bibles. We're going to get to that. Uh, somebody gave me, when I first got into uh, pastoring, Somebody gave me a Thompson Chain Reference Bible. I bet I've had four or five of those over all these years. But they're wonderful because beside verses, they'll give you a, 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 a reference number that will connect you to another verse in the Bible somewhere that's similar to that or subject matter that's similar to that. And I mean, it's just quick reference. You can go say, oh, it says, his, oh, it talks about it over yonder. Let me go over there and see what that says. That's real handy when you're sitting and studying and you want to find out some of these things. But anyway, for our, our time tonight, I said Bible with margins to write on so you can do that. Concordance. Everybody know what a concordance is or not? All right, some do, maybe some don't. A concordance is a big, thick, I'm, seriously, it's that thick. Big, thick book, this big, won't, go in on, won't stand up on any of your shelves. But... It is a book that has every word that is in the Bible alphabetically and every reference of where every one of those words are, each one by itself. Then, beside that, it has another key uh, number section that connects that to Hebrew and Greek text in the back that tells you that Hebrew or Greek word and kind of a definition for that. So even if you're not a Greek scholar or a Hebrew scholar, you can actually understand some of this stuff in terms of getting to the root of what a word means and you know, how it's used or where it came from by, by referencing that. And that's what a concordance does. Very handy. I've used them for years and years and years. And uh, they're very, very helpful to, uh, to connect why the word here is this way and why the word in another place is this way. And it has to do with translations and all those kind of things. Well, concordance, very important too in my thinking. Study Bibles. Uh, study Bibles are almost like commentaries 
made into the script into the Bible, because uh, you want to know what great theologians, men of great reputation, and all you want to know, you know, what they think when they read this and studied this. And there are lots of those. I have a Ryrie Study Bible. That's old time, you know, cornerstone type of a reference. I have a D- David Jeremiah Study Bible. I have a Tony Evans Study Bible. <laughs> I have an uh, International Inductive Study Bible. I've got a bunch of study Bibles. Uh, all these references are handy and helpful to get perspectives and to help you see some of the things you haven't seen and make connections you, you didn't know about and you hadn't seen before. And, um, so study Bibles are good. Other Bible translations for personal study, very helpful to clarify words and terms that may be unfamiliar or different in meaning today. Uh, and there are a lot of words like that that we say, well, I'm not sure what that is, you know. Concupiscence. That's not something we talk about every day. Well, we do, but not using that particular word. We use a different word that uh, is, is more common today. So, so some of these will help us in clarifying and, and getting a, a clearer understanding of some of these terms and words without having to dig all through the uh, concordance and, and, and do a trace all the way back to, to figure them out. Other study helps, Bible study methods, techniques. And that's what you have on your next page if you want to take a quick look at that uh, just for a few minutes. Bible study methods is the, is the science of understanding the Scripture, understanding the words of God. And a very, very practical, very simple, very popular, most used type because an inductive Bible study simply means that it's letting the, 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 the Scripture, the words, the context, all of that interpret what it means instead of everybody just getting their own ideas from wherever they want to try to, to think to see what it means. And there's processes to that. Pastor has shared this in the past. I've shared it some in the past. But it's uh, always good to go back and look over again. And uh, I, I use it all the time when I'm studying. When I'm studying uh, for personal, when I'm studying for preaching, when I'm studying for anything, I'm studying the Scripture. I will use techniques uh, from this. Uh, observation. And I left a little blank or two to so keep you awake so you'd have to fill it in. Otherwise, you'll miss it all. So, observation answers a question. What does it say? Simple observation. That's just the surface stuff. We just look. We just read it. You know, and it says, what does it say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, that's what it says. So now what do we do? Well, let's look at it a little closer. Let's read it again, and let's see what stands out. You know, one thing stands out is the word. Another thing stands out is in the beginning. I've heard that before. What does that mean? In the beginning of what? In the beginning of the book? No. In the beginning of the New Testament? In the beginning, you know. You know so you say, wait a minute. Let's, let's make, what does this mean? What does this say? What it, 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 you know, you find out what it says by the context. You have to read a little further sometimes. Sometimes you have to back up a little bit. And Pastor talks about that often. Context is everything because that's what gives meaning. 
Let me give you a little phrase just to, to illustrate that for a second. And I, we don't have on the board or anything, but um, just lost it just that fast. Uh, nothing. Oh, four words maybe. Nothing is better than you. Okay. I hear that in a song some nowadays. Christian song. So who is it talking about? Yeah. But wait a minute. What does it mean if we just say nothing is better than you? You say, you know what? It could mean different things because of how you say it. I could say, nothing is better than you. Or I could say, nothing is better than you. So a husband would tell his wife either one of those, couldn't he? And it means something totally different, <laughs> how he says it. But context will explain the wording around it, what's going on. So if it's in a Christian song that talks about Jesus, then it's going to mean that they're saying nothing is better than Jesus, right? So the context explains it for you. And so you, you look at in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You read on down, and you realize, wait a minute, in the beginning, he's talking about the beginning of creation. He's talking about the same thing we saw in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And you make the connection based on the context, the subject matter of what's being talked about. But observation does that, and so the more you begin to look into that, that, that scripture verse or what it's connected to and the verses along with it and the other two, you get like a, the, whole, the whole paragraph or the whole section. Sometimes in the scripture it could be three chapters that are all connected together. Events that are connected together. I find that a lot in, in, uh, in, in the Gospels with the stories and the things of Jesus and the the disciples and such. And a lot of times we talk about this story, like the feeding of the 5,000. But if you really take time to look into the feeding of the 5,000, you'll find out that there were things happening before the feeding of the 5,000. I've forgotten, is it Mark? I think it's Mark. I, I forget because they're, you know, they're in two or three different books. But for instance, in one of them, um, the chapter before the feeding of the 5,000, or the first part of the chapter, I don't remember, is when Jesus sent out the 70 disciples and gave them power over spirits and over disease. And, and they went out and were doing healings and things, all of this stuff in the name of the Lord. And they came back, and they were worn out, however long they had been out doing all of this, and they hadn't eaten and Jesus says, well, let's, 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 let's go to a, a quiet place. Let's get in the boat go to a quiet place and rest a little bit and eat. But it immediately goes into where when they got in the boat and left, all the people saw them, so they, they hurried and followed them on land or wherever, and they got there before Jesus and the disciples did. So when they got there, there's all these people waiting on it. And you know Jesus, we got a minister of these people. And so now here it. Long day, all the rest of the day. Jesus is ministering to these people in a remote place, and it gets late in the day, and uh, the disciples go to Jesus, if you remember the story, and says, Master, we're in a remote place. Uh, it's getting late in the day. We need to pe send these people away so they can eat. 
Remember what Jesus said? No. You feed them. Now, if you read that big, larger context, you'll find out that disciples hadn't eaten all day long. So you know who's hungry. And I'm afraid I'm, I'd be like them disciples sometimes. You know, we need to get done with this. and we, These people need to go home because I'm tired and I'm hungry and I'm ready to sit down and have a meal. And the last thing I want is the Lord say, no, you cook them something. They'll never leave, you know. And, you know, so, so I understand some of that. I mean, when you see the larger context, new things come into mind that change some of, of what you had just heard and thought. Now you're discovering things on your own that impact your life in a new and a different way. And by the way, that same, it, it rolls into the, the next thing they do. So it's an amazing thing to see some of these things. And by the way, you know, the feeding of the 4,000? That happened not long after that. That time they're out there, observation. Okay? That's what we're doing. Jesus said, you know, we need to feed these people. Wasn't the disciples' idea that time. <laughs> it was Jesus' idea. And he took care of it. It's interesting just to see how things are different. And which perspectives and which way things go. Number two, interpretation. What does it mean? That's what interpretation is. All right. It's, it's saying this, but what, is, what does he mean by this? What does he mean? And I don't have time to go through all the, the, the other the sub, the sub points. Answers all those questions. You were looking to say, who's, who's talking? Who are they talking to? Where is this happening? What's going on around them? Who are the other people that are involved? Uh, all those types of things. All the who, what's, when's, where's, and why's. Interpretation, what does it mean? It discerns the author's viewpoint. What is the author, the guy that's writing, the guy that's presenting this, what's he, what, what's he saying? What's he wanting? What, what does he mean by putting this in there? What, what is he trying to accomplish? What is he trying to tell us, the reader? Person, place, period, procedure, progress of events. We're looking at it from his viewpoint. you got four Gospels written by four different people with four different viewpoints. If you go back and look, it's interesting to see. We use a big word called hermeneutics to explain and interpret. That's what he talks about there. The science and skill of biblical interpretation using the rule within the systems. That's what I say. You look for it to tell you what it says, what it means, and what we do with it, not some outward for Relationship of words, backgrounds, little grammatical, historical. And, uh, you know, there's some rules of thumb along this way. For instance, uh, when someone's writing something, like the scriptures, these, these accounts, or something that's going to happen, you start by taking it literal unless something is indicating that you're not supposed to. Big other side of that picture and examples would be in Revelation, where John is seeing all of these futuristic things, and he's saying, "This this flying beast is like a locust or something, you know, like something." 
chances are he had no idea what this thing is. So he's trying to compare it with something to him that would be in some sense similar. You ever hear, you ever hear locusts go by when they fly? Kind of startle you? To, you know, they go by so quick. And them locusts, man, you know, John could have been seeing helicopters up there. But he wouldn't know that's what they are, right? They're just big beasts going through the air. But I'm just saying, there he uses, he uses like the word like. He doesn't say they were locusts. He said they were like locusts, or they were like this, or they were like that. That gives you an indication, okay, he's not saying it was exactly that. He's saying in his mind, that's what he compares it to. So just an idea. Um, interpretation. Number three, application. What does it mean to me? Application is where it gets personal. Why does, you know, what, what, is, what is God trying to tell me through this? What do I need to learn from the Holy Spirit in studying this passage? I mean, I'm seeing these things. I'm seeing what's going on. Uh, there's, some, there's some great truth here. What, what am I supposed to do with this? And there's a series of questions I put down for you. Any promises to claim and believe? Any principles to incorporate in my life? Oh boy, there's a lot in the New Testament about principles to incorporate. Things to do, things not to do. You know, as a Christian, as a believer, procedures to adopt, people to imitate. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know. Any dangers to avoid? I should have said any ant beds to avoid. Any dangers to avoid? Any people to avoid? Prophetic events to put into my living? Things that I need to keep on the horizon out there that God's going to do. Places to go, prayers I need to pray. You get the idea. And then there's a fourth one. A fourth one that says correlation. And correlation says, where does this passage fit? Where does this passage fit in the whole system of the Bible? Correlation can be a very important step because... It keeps us on the right track with the rest of Scripture. Listen, there's churches out here all over the place, not just here but all over the world, that are built on some one-verse statement somewhere that somebody came out with and, and created a doctrine on that that's not even close to what the Scripture's really teaching because they did not use study methods that would correlate and say, well, how do I know it means this? Is there anywhere else in the Scripture that talks about this subject? Is there anything, anywhere else in Scripture it, it refers to some things that you're seeing in here? You know, in, just like in the beginning. Any other places you find something like that? Wow, Genesis 1-1, what do you know? I wonder if that makes a difference. You know? So we look and we see, does it match up where these kinds of subjects or these kind of terms and such are used in other places in the Bible. And you'll be amazed how many times you can find other places in Scripture that talk about that that help give clarity to what that means and how it works. That keeps us on track. Relationship of the passage to the rest of Scripture. Relationship of the passage to the facts outside Scripture. Results of correlation, biblical theology, biblical view of Living. It keeps us from some harebrained idea that Satan might have been put in our heart. Just because of our ignorance, we've opened ourselves up to false teaching. Because we haven't taken the time and the effort, energy and investment 
to pour into the Word of God to get it right, to be skillful to correctly handle the Word of God. Hey, I'm just, I just want to encourage you. These are things we need to do. These are things we have to do. If we're going to be faithful to the Lord, if we're going to grow spiritually, we're going to become the mature believers God wants us to. Uh, there's no alternative. This is it. Well, thanks for tolerating this time with me. <laughs> and uh, I hope something in these notes might be a blessing. Maybe the Lord can use something in it to just spur us on, maybe give us a new little incentive, push further. I can always use incentive to push further. It doesn't matter where I am. I always need that. And so may the Lord spur us on to just a closer walk with Thee. Uh, dear Lord, let it be. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time together. Thank You for Your Word. Lord, You were very serious about it when You put it out there and gave it to us. It wasn't there just for whenever we wanted something to feel good about. Lord, it's life and death. Spiritual life and death. Lord, we don't need to spend 40 years in this life hanging out here in limbo, not growing, not going for God. Lord, just pray you'd encourage us, give us that incentive, helps let us know that there's tools available, there's things out there that can assist us, Lord, to become the student of the Word of God you'd have us to be. And Lord, let us help us to choose to do it whatever it costs. Thank you for these who come out tonight. Lord, on a, on a night that's rainy and messy and passers away, they get extra points. Lord, I praise you for it and bless them for it, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. God bless you.